Cruise Radio is brought to you by InsureMyTrip.com. Travel insurance done right from the people who know travel insurance. Find out more at InsureMyTrip.com. Broadcasting from the InsureMyTrip.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, what's up? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. If this is your first time listening, well, thank you so much for being here. Plenty of back episodes for you to check out at CruiseRadio.net or just look us up on iTunes. On this show, Jason Leppert from PopularCruising.com joins us to talk about his latest cruise experience. Very cool, actually. It started in the Far East and worked its way up to the uh, remote areas of Alaska. So looking forward to talking to him a little bit later on. But first, Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy. What's up, Stuart? Hey, Doug. How you doing? Good, man. Two more ships for NCL. What's the latest? Well, the latest was that rumors were profoundly being uh, sent around the Internet that an imminent order for two 200,000 ton cruise ships for NCL was on the near, very near horizon. But uh, it turned out that uh, it wasn't 200,000. They were two 164,600 ton ships uh, hmm. that uh, they're building. So the rumors were kind of correct then. Kind of correct. And you, know, you had some people that were speculating that that was why Meyerwerft was desiring to buy the uh, Turku Finland shipyard mm-hmm. so that they could continue building ships uh in the you know larger than the 168,000 ton ships that are currently being built in their yard but uh the reality was that you know this is this I mean you know two the 200,000 ton ships would have been wrong for them because there's very few places that they can sail and you're very you're highly restricted it would also just significantly reduce pricing so uh they they just came out with these two essentially breakaway plus uh, cruise ships. Now, you said 168,000 tons. Uh, is that kind of the capacity for the Meyerwerf shipyard right now, 168? It, it appears that is the maximum size that they can build because they're also limited. Remember, that shipyard, they build indoors. Uh-huh. So they can only go so high uh, in the shipyard to, in order to get the ship uh, out when the, it is finally assembled. Okay, yeah. Uh, at the yard. That makes sense. But, uh, that's the that's the mag that's uh, the quantum of the sea ships are one one sixty eight six hundred and uh, that appears to be uh, as big as uh, that they can uh, they can build at this point. But uh, what's also interesting is you know you'd think that if you're building more ships essentially of the same caliber or size that you'd see a pricing difference. But uh, what we're finding is that. Uh, each of these ships that NCL ordered actually went up in price. Hmm. They're going to cost over a billion dollars each, <laughs> wow. which is up significantly from what uh, the Breakaway Plus ships that are currently under construction are going to cost. Makes the world go round. So uh, on the heels of Carnival Cruise Lines announcement a couple of weeks ago, it looks like uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines is now enforcing a new smoking policy. What do you have on this? Well, they are uh, prohibiting smoking on balconies as well, just like Carnival. So you can't smoke in the cabins and you can't smoke in the balconies on getaway and breakaway. You can only smoke on the uh, starboard side of the ship, uh, out, you know, while while you're outside. Uh, but what's also interesting is, as other cruise lines, this also includes the e-cigarettes. Oh, OK. So they don't care whether it's the tobacco filled cigarette, you know, the standard, the regular cigarettes or electronic cigarettes. 
There's no smoking. Costa Concordia is uh, being floated, recovered, all that good stuff. Now, uh, before they were going to move it, they were going to check it out to see if the, how the, uh, I guess, the structure of the hull was and if there was any enviro- uh, environmental issues. How's all this shaping up? The raising of uh, Concordia was successful. They got it six feet off the platform and then uh, moved it 30 feet to the east away from the platform. So the ship right now essentially is floating with those uh, spontoons uh, that are attached, so they, the compressed air. So the latest uh, as of today that we saw that they, they've raised the ship about nine feet from where it was. And uh, over the weekend, they're going to continue to raise it. Uh, as they check the integrity of the hull, ensure that nothing is leaking out of the ship, and hopefully uh, get to its uh, desired uh, height, and then uh, tow the ship, which is uh, was expected Monday the 21st, but it looks like it, because of bad weather that it could be the 22nd before they start to tow the ship to Genoa for uh, scrapping. Okay. Man, they're going to, I guess that's all they can really do, huh, is scrap that thing. That's it. Yeah. Celebrity Silhouette is having some propulsion issues. Uh, Is this going to be fixed soon, or is this one of those things where it's going to run the whole season like this? It appears that it's going to be the season. They are trying to repair whatever the issue is with the propulsion of the ship. Uh, Port times, unfortunately, on on several sailings have been uh, limited, uh, have been shortened in duration. And uh, while they while they continue to assess the the situation, but uh, what happens is that they because they can't operate the ship at full capacity, the ship doesn't travel as far as fast. So that means that uh, time in ports is going to be limited for uh, some time. Where is uh, Silhouette right now? Right now she's sailing in the Mediterranean. Okay. Before we get to this Miami Herald article, one more uh, piece here, Stuart. Uh, there was a steel-cutting ceremony for Region 7 Seas Explorer, which is a, a new – how would you say – what is Region? A, a luxury cruise line? Region is uh, one of the four luxury cruise operators. Okay. So the ship will be about 54,000 tons and only carry 750 passengers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're claiming that it will have the highest space ratio and staff-to-guest ratio which essentially not only makes you know would make this one of the nicest cruise ships in the world, but uh, it could redefine luxury cruising as we know it. And an interesting article from your neck of the woods, from the Miami Herald, they uh, they they pinned an article: Is Florida losing home port advantage? What do you think about this? Well, I, I think look, it's it's always interesting to have to look at uh, the glass half empty. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but uh, the Caribbean is king, uh, you know, as far as cruising goes in the world. And the three ports in the world, Miami, Canaveral, and Fort Lauderdale, are the three most popular ports on the planet. And more passengers sail from there. And those are the only ports that can actually, in the entire United States, that can get you to the Eastern and Western Caribbean in seven days. And Miami and Fort Lauderdale are the only uh, uh, departure ports that can get you to the Eastern, Western, and Southern Caribbean in seven days. Mm-hmm. So I, there's there's no way that, there's no other ports that can usurp Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and Canaveral as kings of the cruise industry. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, on the other side of it is we are able to see that uh, there are other emerging markets like Australia, like uh, Southeast Asia, that are ripe to take some of the older ships and have those redeployed to those regions from companies like let's say a Norwegian cruise line that currently don't have a presence out there where they can take some of their ships and build a following among these uh, emerging markets. But uh, there is no chance that uh, Florida is going to lose (laughs) 
its edge because there is no other place that has uh, that is geographically um, desirable for cruising like it is now. Uh, earlier today, you tweeted this, and I, it kind of caught my attention. I'll, I'll probably butcher the name of this, but uh, you basically tweeted an article about Puerto Rico declaring, uh, is it the chikungunya epidemic down there? Right. It, that, um, that's a mosquito, the mosquito bite, correct? Right, but apparently uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico has declared an epidemic Okay. Uh, down there. And, you know, I am supposed to go down there on a cruise, and until I know more about what's going on, I'm waiting for some cruise line feedback, but, uh, you know, I may not get off the ship. <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask you that. Should cruise passengers be concerned with this? Well, I mean, epidemic is uh, a pretty uh, strong term. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's it's something to uh, become more informed about. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if it is bad enough because San Juan is apparently the epicenter. Oh, boy. So uh, it, it's it'll certainly be interesting to learn more about uh, what this is. But the last thing I want to do is come back from a cruise ill because I got mosquito bit, yeah. bitten by this. Absolutely. You can find him at cruiseguy.com. Stuart, she run the cruise guy. Thanks, man. And now Jim Grace, CEO of insuremytrip.com, discusses hurricane season and the benefits of travel insurance. Hurricanes and storms are a big concern for travelers. It's one of the top reasons people buy travel insurance. A bad storm can lead to all sorts of problems for travelers. Flight delays, cancellations, could even leave your vacation spot in pretty bad shape. Travel insurance can help you get your money back when these things happen, but the key is to buy early. Insurance is designed to cover unforeseen events, so if a storm is even on the weather map, you can't buy insurance. It's just too late. The best advice is to buy insurance when you make your first trip payment. If you're concerned about weather-related issues affecting your travel plans, look for a comprehensive plan on InsureMyTrip that offers reimbursement if your trip gets delayed or canceled. And if you have questions, we have the top customer care professionals in the industry, all licensed insurance agents who are here to help. For more information on this travel insurance topic and others, visit insuremytrip.com. For over 42 years, Park West Gallery has introduced over 1.3 million people to fine art. Here's what actual customers are saying. I've been collecting with Park West five, six years now. Six years. Nine years. Ten years. Everybody we meet at Park West makes you feel comfortable. You're part of their family. It is an exciting and fun experience. It is enjoyable, uplifting. Park West has been so kind to us. Park West makes us excited to spend money on art. To find out more about Park West Gallery, visit parkwestgallery.com or go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Park West Gallery icon. You're listening to Cruise Radio, part of the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Jason Leopard from popularcruising.com is with us this morning. Uh, he just actually returned from an expedition cruise, and we're going to hear all about it this morning. So uh, first off, Jason, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Now, first off, uh, before we dive into the cruise itself, talk to us about what kind of cruise this was. Yeah, it was definitely a different kind of thing than I've been on. It was a true expedition vessel. It only holds about 120 people. Tops has 98 uh, crew members with that. So it's almost a one-to-one crew to passenger ratio and uh, makes it a much smaller ship. And you can get into really tight remote areas. And we were off to uh, the remote areas of Russia on the Far East there and over to uh, the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. Okay, so I've got to ask you because I've never cruised on the Far East before. So, what were yeah. your like your, your pre-sailing thoughts before you've done this? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it was definitely thinking, gosh, this is going to be exotic because, you know, you look at the, the list of island names and I had never even heard of half right. of these places. <laughs> so, you knew right then it's going to be true adventure style cruising. And I was just excited about, you know, I've always been intrigued by the notion of, you know, just sort of spinning a globe and, you know, tapping your finger on that. And let's let's go to that spot for the, the day and see what happens. And that is kind of what it felt like. It was completely unknown. And it was exciting because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you went over there, uh, were there any kind of requirements like uh, any kind of extra visas or anything you needed? Yes, indeed. We actually started in Japan uh, and the port there was Otaru. But since we went through Russia, we had to get a Russian visa. And boy, that's a laborious process, I tell you. <laughs> uh, it was pretty pricey, too. It's about a $220 visa, uh, regardless of your stay. I think it's good for a month at most. And uh, how to get that and the process, you know, you have to basically dot your I's and cross your T's and make sure, you know, Every little detail is right when you send that thing off, because if anything's wrong, it's like you're not going to be accepted. So thankfully, we got it, had the visa in hand, made it over there and had a fantastic time. Very good. Now, back to the visa for a second. Do you have to do that yourself or does the cruise line help you facilitate that? They have a service um, that they uh, are affiliated with and they recommend uh, that you go through them. And it's essentially a a broker. Uh, They're the ones handling the dealings with the, I guess it would be like the consulate at that point. Mm -hmm. And you pay them an additional fee uh, for that as well. Um, It kind of speed, uh, kind of streamlines it and speeds up the process a bit. And if you need it expedited, they can do that as well. Very good. Talk to us about actually getting to the Far East because I know you're in uh, you're in San Diego. So what was that process like? Yeah, so I went from San Diego to Los Angeles, just up the coast there, and took a uh, Dreamliner, actually one of the new 787s nice. for the first time across to uh, Japan, to Tokyo. Did you do any kind of pre-cruise nights over there? I didn't, you know, and I would love to because I'm a huge Disney fan, and I was that close yeah. to Tokyo Disneyland, <laughs> and I wanted to go. <laughs> ah, so But uh, not this time. Now, you, you embarked in, you said Hong Kong? Uh, well, we actually we flew into Tokyo, and then we went to Sapporo, and then we had a drive to a very small, almost fishing village called Otaru, mm-hmm. and we actually spent uh, a night over there and had a day tour, which was kind of nice. So we did get a little taste of Japan while we were there. Uh, definitely an exotic place, man. It, to have sushi in Japan is pretty cool. How uh, how was embarkation once you're getting onto the cruise ship for an American when you're like embarking in Otaru? Uh, it was super easy. Uh, again, you had to clear uh, customs. That was one of the maybe the biggest hurdles and really the only uh, dis- only inconvenience really on our cruise was having to go through Japan customs and then also Russian customs. But uh, once we were on board, pretty easy. Uh, we only actually had 49 people on board our ship. Wow. It was really remarkable. So definitely under capacity and it made it feel like we were on a private yacht and just really easy because of that. Uh, right on, uh, got our key and right to our room. Now, this doesn't sound like a huge jumbo cruise ship. It's uh, more of a smaller, uh, intimate type, uh, you know, more of a small and intimate type ship there. You said it only holds like 128 passengers. Is that what you said? Yeah, 120 passengers total yeah. at most. So it's really much smaller than you're used to. Um, but, you know, because of that, it makes getting on and off so much easier. You don't have to fight the crowds. What were your first impressions of this ship? Ship was very nice, actually. Uh, it, definitely smaller. You're not going to get the oasis of the seas by any means with this thing. Um, but just really, uh, well, it has the Silver Sea polish that you would come to expect because Silver Sea is a luxury brand. And mm-hmm. even though this is an expedition ship, they've still gone about and really given that luxury uh, all the luxury touches that you would expect. I mean, the, the rooms have the most comfortable beds I've ever had, <laughs> not only at sea, but on land, because I got back home and I was like, oh, I missed that bed already. <laughs> so, we, and you know, you had a good cruise when you when you leave the ship and you want to take home the, the beds and the chef on board. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about how comfortable the staterooms are and all this. Since it was a luxury cruise ship, 
Uh, does it have a butler with the staterooms? It did, yeah. yeah. So regardless of the size of the staterooms, um, the staterooms, most of them are about the same size as like mm-hmm. a standard uh, room, a standard outside room on a cruise ship of larger size. Um, but with that, even you still get a butler and then they have a handful of suites uh, that are slightly larger than that, uh, about twice the size uh, on deck six, which was nice. So we had one of the veranda suites. There's only eight of those on board, but it was mm-hmm. nice to have a spot to just kind of hang out on the patio and see all the sights. Now, you made the food sound really, really good. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I man, I, I, I'll admit I'm a gourmand. I really like food. And <laughs> I, I tell you what, it was some great stuff. Uh, even before I had sailed on the Silver Spirit and I was really a fan of the food on that and even though this was a smaller version of a silver sea ship, it was, I think the food was actually better in my opinion. And just every night was fantastic. Every meal, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner just loved it. They had uh, just great uh, entrees, really fancy food for such a small ship. It was really impressive what they were able to put out. How, how would you uh, compare and contrast between, uh, you know, a, a, ma- a mass market cruise line like Carnival Royal Caribbean and Norwegian versus um, dining on a silver sea ship? It's more on the elegant side. They do still have uh, not necessarily formal evenings, but more informal where you still need to dress up wearing uh, a sports coat, but not a tie, which is nice. Uh, So it's a little bit more elegant um, in the way it's served, a little bit more on the gourmet side. You know, you do have, you know, fries and burgers and that kind of thing in the back pool deck, if you'd like for lunch, but uh, come dinner time, it's definitely a little bit more gourmet. How about as far as restaurants go on board? Yeah, they had the main restaurant, just titled the restaurant, in fact, and that was uh, what they used for dinner time only. And they also had their uh, Discoverer Lounge, which is what they use sort of as a Lido buffet uh, for breakfast and lunch. So that was sort of a serve yourself kind of thing, sit it down, and then uh, they bring all the drinks and everything to you. Now, when we think of typical cruise ship entertainment, we think casinos, big Broadway shows. Would we expect that on a smaller expedition cruise ship? Not at all, really. There's no entertainment to be expected except for a piano player in the evenings, which is just kind of nice background music. But uh, really, the focus here is about the destinations you're going to. It's more off-board than on. And uh, when you are on board, there are a couple of sea days. We have like three, I believe. And um, anytime that you're on board and there's some downtime, they do have a really great expedition team on board. And these are experts in their field, you know, botanists, uh, marine biologists, what have you. And they basically will do uh, really nice lectures talking about the areas that you're going to. So there's always something going on. It's just not your usual entertainment and lavish productions. What about the outdoor area? We find uh, swimming pools and all of that. Yeah, actually, there was a swimming pool in the back. Unfortunately, it was never open on ours. And I, I suspect that was because we were in the Arctic area. And okay. It was really cold. Um, but yeah, on large, in uh, warmer destinations, they head to Australia and the Kimberley Coast. And uh, it would be fantastic to go out there and just go for a swim. So you wouldn't find any deck chair hogs on your sailing then? Not particularly. <laughs> no, we're not a lot of sunbathing on this one. Now, you were talking about the ports and I was looking at your itinerary and I I haven't heard, nor could I pronounce probably 95% of the ports that you went to. So like, what were some of your ports that really stuck out? Because you started uh, down in Asia and you worked your way up through Russia and then over to Alaska. Oh man, now you're going to make me try to pronounce them, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we started, uh, like I said, in Japan and then we went up uh, what were known as the Kuril Islands, I believe. Kuril, I Mm -hmm. think that's what you're pronouncing. Sure, we'll just roll with it. (laughs) Sure. Uh, It's basically the whole trip uh, was sort of basically outlining the Ring of Fire the northern part of the Ring of Fire, the Pacific Plate, which is really cool. So all these islands are essentially volcanoes, and just all the geologic activity was just fascinating to see. You go um, 
And, you know, none of these places are really a docks. I mean, occasionally we had a city we went to and we had a dock on a regular tour. But normally you're getting off in a Zodiac like you would a tender off of a cruise ship. And you're either doing a wet landing where you can get off, um, you know, with your boots and go explore. Or you're just doing a Zodiac cruise around the island and just kind of checking out the sites and the flora and the fauna. And just some of these areas that we saw were just breathtaking scenery. Uh, we were really lucky not to have any rain, but, you know, even the cloud cover was just beautiful, very dramatic and scenic and just looked like something out of a movie or Jurassic Park or something. It was just incredible. <laughs> nice. Uh, what really stuck out to you? You know, I'm really big on uh, abandoned places. I don't know why. There's just something mysterious about it that intrigues me. And a lot of the areas that we hit were relics of World War II. And you'd go to these areas where there'd be like a Japan, a Japanese uh, submarine that was used uh, during the war. And it's just sitting there. It's It's been resting ever since. And it's there in a field somewhere. And you can go take photos of it. And it's just, it's really intriguing looking. And we saw a lot of that. But, you know, the wildlife particularly was fantastic. We were in one area where we saw humpback whales. And this one humpback just kept on breaching out of the water continuously. And the people that were on board who had been sailing for years on the expedition team had never seen this before. So just fantastic opportunity to see whales and even bears uh, by the time we got to Alaska. Just some really cool stuff. It's, it's basically National Geographic in person. You know, yes. It's like the stuff you see on a documentary, but you're there in person. It's just fantastic. Now, the one port I can pronounce is Dutch Harbor up in Alaska, mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of Deadliest Catch. Uh, right, was there any right. kind of um, memorabilia there, or did you get to see any cool stuff? You know, it was the off-season, so the boats that are on the show weren't even there. They were in dry dock at the time being recorded. Um, and it was really kind of a sleepy town because of that. But, uh, you know, it's cool to be there for sure and to hear the stories. Um, and even on board, it was kind of neat. In the way of entertainment, they did actually show an episode of Deadliest Catch just to give us a taste of what it was like to, uh, you know, give us more context when we were there. Yeah, awesome. Have you ever been to Wrangell, Alaska? I have years ago. Yeah, that's. A, I guess it was yeah. kind of like that, a sleepy little kind of a dead town when it's off season. But when yeah, it's in season, yeah. it's probably jumping. Exactly. Yeah, very, absolutely. very cool. Now, uh, why should someone consider a Silver Sea expedition? It's a luxury cruise line. So first off, actually, let me back up and talk to us about the demographic uh, who was on board. Sure. Um, so, yeah, the demographic was a little younger just because you have to be a little bit more active on these uh, than, say, your usual luxury cruise ship. I would say the age was maybe around 40 or so was about the average. Uh, there are a couple in my age demographic in my my 30s, uh, but mostly 40s and 50s, I would say. Mm-hmm. But it's a really just very diverse group of people, uh, well-educated, uh, definitely people that, uh, despite you know even being older, just young for young at heart and really excited to get out there like uh, all of us were. You know, I was kind of comparing uh, when I went on a small expedition ship in Alaska. I did Uncruise Adventures uh, last yeah. year, actually, and I think you did, too. I was kind of considering or comparing it to what a river cruise demographic was going to be like, where it was going to be like, 60s, 70s, and 80s, but I was actually, there was people on there younger than me in their early 20s on it just for the expedition itself, which I thought was really cool. On that note, were there like, were any excursions, expedition, like trekking and hiking and all of that? Yeah, so that was the thing that was cool. I mean, you you were mentioning Uncruise before, and while they have kayaks off the back of their ship, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, Everything was a little bit more... uh, Again, because it's a luxury cruise line, it's a little more, more leisurely. You're on a Zodiac, and you're basically just riding along, checking out the sites of the islands. But they did have opportunities um, in most of the spots that we stopped at to um, disembark the Zodiac and actually go hiking. Um, they had different levels. So depending on uh, you know your activity level, you could go with one of the guides and maybe do a more... Um, more leisurely hike or a more strenuous hike, depending on your, your uh, desire that day and just explore and have fun. It was really a blast. Did they launch the glass bottom boat at all? 
I thought they mentioned that the ship had it at one point, but I don't think they do anymore. Oh, okay. You could also uh, put a mask on and stick your head in the water, I guess, right? Off the back of the Zodiac. <laughs> you could if you wanted to go for the polar bear plunge, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So uh, why should someone consider taking a Silver Sea Expedition cruise? I would say anybody who is really into just trying out something that's so, so entirely off the beaten path it is absolutely something that you got to do. Because, I mean, it, there, there's something about cruising that's always fantastic. You know, you go to Alaska and you're in the Inside Passage, but that's where all the cruise ships go, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. Do that. You know, th- that's still one of my favorite places to travel to. But if you really want to go to some places that aren't frequented by any other cruise ship, let alone people, you know, I mean, these are uninhabited islands that we went to for the right. most part. I mean, these are just, you feel like a full-on adventurer, you know, Lewis and Clark kind of style. Very cool, these yeah. Places. Were and you a- if that's what you want to do and still have the luxury uh, quality uh, supporting it, then this is it. This is where you got to be. Did you find any kind of a language barrier? No, not at all. Actually, I, I mean, they dedicate they're uh, still primarily uh, dedicated to the American market. What about in the ports? Um, not so much. Even yeah, they had a good uh, variety of uh, guides that uh, spoke English very well. Very good. Well, we've been talking with Jason Leopard from PopularCruising.com. And Jason, where can we find you online? Yeah, I'm on popularcruising.com, and I also have my popular cruising video podcast where I do uh, videos while I'm on uh, my ships, uh, my ship uh, cruises, and doing live reports. So I have uh, videos to kind of show you the experience as I go along. Very cool. Well, I'll also link to the podcast in the show notes. Jason, my friend, good talking to you, and look forward to seeing you soon, buddy. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Uh, Before we hop here, I do want to tell you, you know, each episode of Cruise Radio gets about 20 to 25 man hours of research, editing, interviewing, show notes, links, and all of that. So it would mean the world if you would go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, uh, or you can go to cruiseradio.net slash iTunes, and that'll take you there as well. Uh, Don't forget, we have a new and improved website at cruiseradio.net. And uh, hook up with us on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash cruiseradio. From the insuremytrip.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, I'm Doug Parker, and this is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio is produced weekly at the insuremytrip.com studios. Hear Cruise Radio on iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Overseas Radio Network, iTunes, or at cruiseradio.net. For sales and marketing opportunities, email sales at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.